0: Pride comes before a fall. I'm sure you've uh, you've heard that saying before. It's actually a paraphrase of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, which says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The basic gist of the saying, though, is that if you're proud, if you think highly of yourself, then sooner or later something's going to happen that'll cut you down to size. Pride is a problem because pride comes before a fall. What we've seen over the last few weeks in Luke is that Israel in general, and the Pharisees in particular, they were proud. Their pride meant they refused to repent. Because of their pride, they wouldn't change their mind about Jesus. And that's a real problem because, remember, pride comes before a fall. Whoever is too proud to submit to Jesus, they won't be in God's kingdom. That was true for Israel. And it's true for us as well. By the end of this bit of Luke, Jesus will be challenging us to make sure that we don't make the same mistake as Israel. He'll be challenging us to make sure that we're not too proud to accept Jesus' invitation. So let's have a look. The scene here is the same as when we left off last week. In chapter 14 and verse 1, we were told that one Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. And while he was there, it came time to sit down for a meal, and Jesus watched as the other guests picked their seats. Verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. So after watching all the other guests fight it out for the best seats, Jesus decides to tell them a parable all about, you guessed it, choosing seats at a banquet. And he tells this parable so as to expose their pride. Because, remember, pride is a serious problem. Pride comes before a fall. And Jesus starts the parable by saying what not to do when someone invites you to a wedding feast. So verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. My guess is most of us here have been to a wedding reception before. And uh, at a wedding, there's a whole bunch of ways that the seating can be organised, isn't there? Uh, some people have a wedding plan, a uh, kind of a seating plan up on the wall, and you go there and you find your seat. Uh, other people have little name cards on the table so you know where you're sitting. Usually there's a table up the front reserved just for the bridal party. At our wedding, we just had finger food and people mingling, so there was no organised seating really. In Jesus' day, at a feast, the custom was that the most distinguished guest. Uh, sat in the most important seat closest to the host, while the least important guest sat right down the other end of the table. Jesus' advice here, though, is if you get invited to a fancy wedding feast, don't go straight for the best seat closest to the host, because it might actually be that someone more important than you has been invited, and when they turn up, they'll be given your seat, and embarrassingly, you'll have to go to the least important seat. Verse 8 again. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. It's an embarrassing reversal, isn't it? I don't know if this kind of thing happens in your car, but it happens in our car all the time. Uh, We get in the car to go somewhere, and the kids race and try and fight to see who gets to sit in the front seat next to me. But then Sarah comes along, and she takes the front seat, and the kid who took it for themselves, they have to get out and go and hop right in the back where no one wants to sit. That's kind of what's happening in this parable. The person who took a self-appointed place of honour has to now get up and move to the least important seat, and they're humiliated and embarrassed in front of everyone, It's an example, really, of how pride comes before a fall. And remember, these guys, they have just literally been racing for the best seats. Jesus is exposing their pride. So if you're not to go straight for the best seats, what should you do instead? Well, have a look at verse 10. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. So don't be proud, don't take the best seat, instead be humble, choose the worst seat. Because if you do that, Jesus says, well then the host might come and take you up to a better seat and then instead of being embarrassed and ashamed in front of everyone, you'll be honoured in front of everyone. Now why is Jesus saying all this? I mean, is he just trying to give the Pharisees and the other people at this meal some practical, self-focused wisdom, some advice on how to get ahead in life? Is he suggesting they use reverse psychology so as to help manipulate others into honouring them publicly and so they get glory in front of other people? Is he just saying this stuff because he wants his disciples to get the best seats at dinner parties? Of course not. For the last few weeks, Jesus has been banging on and on and on about the urgency of the kingdom of God. And so it's not surprising at all that in verse 11, at the end of this parable, he has actually got something much bigger in mind than simply where to sit at a dinner party. Look at verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This parable has actually been about how God will treat the proud and the humble. Jesus has been exposing their pride because he wants them to be humble. Because the proud, they won't be in God's kingdom. Instead, they will be humbled by God. That's what Jesus says. Pride comes before a fall. But those who humble themselves will be exalted by God. They'll be honoured by God. Those who humble themselves, they will be in the kingdom of God. After all, we follow a glorious king who stooped to wash his disciples' feet. We follow a mighty, all-powerful king who came not to be served but to serve, who humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And because of that, he was exalted by God. The proud have no place in his kingdom. God will humble the proud. Those who are in, the, in Jesus' kingdom, they're characterised by humility. Now, after telling this parable to the guest, Jesus now turns to his host, a prominent Pharisee, remember, and he gives him a suggestion about who to invite to a banquet. So we're moving from where you sit at a banquet to who you should invite. Just by the by, I wonder who you invite uh, when you have a party. I wonder who you invite around for tea. Because who you invite can actually reveal a lot about what's in your heart. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's challenging this Pharisee to think about who it is that he invites so as to expose the pride in his heart. Verse 12. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. So Jesus suggests to him he shouldn't just invite his friends and his wealthy neighbours. In fact, he goes on to say that instead he should invite people who can't pay him back. Verse 13. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus explicitly tells this guy not to plan his guest list based on what other people can do for him. Instead, he should invite the crippled and the poor and the lame and the blind. He should invite those who are in need, even though, or perhaps especially because it's obvious, they can never repay him. Now, why does he give this advice to the Pharisee? Let's be clear, right? He's not saying to the Pharisee that if you invite enough poor people around for tea, then you'll work your way into the kingdom of God. He's not saying to this guy, if you're generous enough, then you'll deserve to be in God's kingdom. He's absolutely not saying that. What he is doing, though, is showing this guy what life will look like if he follows Jesus into the kingdom of God. Because for those who trust Jesus, for those who are in God's kingdom, they live now in the light of God's future glorious kingdom. They live now looking forward to the resurrection of the righteous. That's what Jesus says in verse 14. They live now looking forward to being repaid then, not now. Those who are in the kingdom of God, they live now looking forward to the time When God will exalt those who humble themselves in the kingdom of God. That's what he said back in verse 11. Those who are in the kingdom of God, they live now for the kingdom. They no longer live for themselves. See, when you change your mind about Jesus, life just looks different. Life is now all about Jesus, life is all about his kingdom. It's not about you. And so Jesus challenges this Pharisee to think about who he's inviting because he wants him to see that he's living for himself. And living like that, it actually shows that he's not in the kingdom. Jesus says all this stuff so as to expose this Pharisee's pride because it's actually his pride that shows he's not in the kingdom of God. Pride is a serious, serious problem, pride comes before a fall. Proud people need to repent. They need to change their mind about Jesus. They need to humble themselves. If they don't, they will be repaid now, but they won't be in the kingdom of God. And that's actually the point Jesus goes on to make when he tells a story about a great banquet. It seems as though all this talk about wedding feasts and the mention of the resurrection of the righteous, it causes one of the guests there to think about the greatest banquet of all, the banquet that will be in God's future glorious kingdom. And so in verse 15, this guy says to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat with you at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, whether this guy is genuinely excited about the feast in the kingdom of God or whether he just wants to show off his Old Testament knowledge to Jesus, not really sure, but in any case, Jesus takes the opportunity to tell a story about a great banquet. And he tells this story so as to remind everyone sitting at that table in the Pharisee's house that if they're too proud to repent, if they're too proud to accept his invitation, then they will have no place in God's kingdom. So the story starts out simply enough with a man giving a banquet and inviting a whole bunch of people. Verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So this man's planning to throw a great big banquet and he invites a whole bunch of people. Evidently, uh, most of them accept the invitation. They RSVP, they say they can come. And once everything's ready, the master sends out his servant to tell them, now's the time to come in. That's what happens in verse 17. So presumably, everyone who's RSVP'd and said they can come, they'll now start to arrive. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, Oh, I've just bought a field. I've got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come one after the other after the other, the people who were invited and who said they can come, they start to make excuses for why they can't make it. But really, they're all proud. They've all got something else that's more important to them than coming to this great banquet. Now remember this story, it's really a picture of people being invited to the kingdom of God. And those who were invited first, that's Israel. And in particular, Jesus seems to have in his sights the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the powerful and the privileged in Israel. And what we've seen over Luke in the last couple of weeks is that they are proud. And because of their pride, they refuse to listen to Jesus. They refuse to repent. They refuse to change their mind about him. Like in Jesus' story, they have other things that are more important to them than accepting Jesus' invitation, and they just start making excuses for why they can't come. But back in the story, the servant takes all these excuses back to his master and the master gets angry, verse 21. The servant came back and reported all this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. You can't blame him, can you? He's invited all these people. They said they'd come and they haven't even bothered to show up. He's in a difficult spot, right? A feast has been prepared, The house has been uh, ready to receive visitors but now there are no guests coming. I wonder if you can imagine being in a situation like that. Imagine being at a a, a wedding reception. 50 places prepared, the rooms beautifully decorated, uh, fresh flowers everywhere, a fabulous three-course meal is being cooked, no expenses being spared and then no one even bothers to show up. It's actually hard to imagine it, isn't it? Because that would just be so incredibly rude. That's what Israel have done to God. Interestingly, though, in Jesus' story, for the guy throwing the banquet, there seems to be no thought at all about cancelling. Have a look at what he does instead. Verse 21 again. The servant came back and reported all this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant... Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. If the Pharisees and the religious leaders were those who were invited first, then the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame from the streets of the city, that's really the rest of Israel. Just because the religious leaders refused to come in doesn't mean God's going to cancel the banquet. In fact, he still invites the rest of Israel to come in, even or perhaps especially the tax collectors and the sinners that the Pharisees so despised. If those who were first invited refused to come in, then the owner will still invite others from the town to come, and they will come. But that's not all. Even more will be invited from outside the town. Have a look at verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. The invitation to come to the banquet is now extended to those even outside the city. The invitation to be part of God's kingdom is extended to those even outside Israel, which is really what we saw last week, isn't it? Back in chapter 13 and verse 29, back there we read that people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. God is extending the invitation even to the Gentiles. He's inviting them, He's inviting us to come in and be part of the great feast in the glorious kingdom of God. So, will you accept the invitation? Will you come into the feast. You're not too proud, are you? You don't think there are other things more important than accepting Jesus' invitation, do you? Because Jesus ends this story with a chilling reminder of what happens to those who are too proud to accept his invitation. Have a look at verse 24. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited we'll get a taste of my banquet this is what jesus has been saying for the last few weeks the invitation to join god's kingdom is extended to everyone jews and gentiles the invitation to be part of god's kingdom has been extended to us but we do need to respond we do need to accept the invitation and that means that we need to acknowledge that jesus is the king we need to submit to him. We need to trust him. So, have you accepted Jesus' invitation? Are you in God's kingdom? Or do you reckon you look more like those people in the story, you know, the ones who were making excuses for why they can't come? Don't be like them. Don't let your pride stop you from accepting Jesus. Because it's true, pride comes before a fall. Those ones who were too proud, they won't be in God's kingdom. They won't even get a taste, a mouthful of that great banquet. Look, a good thing to do today would be to think about the most important things in your life. What priorities in your life are most likely to become an excuse for why you can't submit to Jesus right now? Are you too worried about trying to look good in front of others. That's pride. Do you make excuses for why you can't talk about Jesus? That's pride. Are you more worried about what your friends think of you than what Jesus thinks of you? You're more worried about what your boss thinks of you than what Jesus thinks of you. That's pride. Right now, are you sitting there going through all the reasons in your head for why you're not a Christian? That's pride. You know, when you've done something stupid or you've said something hurtful or you've done something you know is wrong, do you find it hard to say sorry? Is it hard to own up to what you've done to admit you did the wrong thing? That's pride. When life just feels like it's all falling apart and it's so hard and you can see no way out, do you ask for help? Have you ever asked for help? I know, it's real hard to ask for help, isn't it? We don't want to admit that we need help. But you know what? That's pride as well. And if it's like that in our relationships with one another now, if our pride stops us from saying sorry to each other, if our pride stops us from asking one another for help, it's hardly surprising that it's like that in our relationship with God as well, is it? It's because of our pride that it's so hard to say sorry to God. It's so hard to say sorry for ignoring Jesus. It's because of our pride that it's so hard to ask God for help. It's because of our pride that it's so hard to ask God to forgive us. It's because of our pride that it's so hard to ask God to change our minds about Jesus so that we recognise that he's the king and that he died instead of us and that he died for us so as to save us from sin. What if we don't say sorry to God? If we don't ask Him for help, if we don't accept the help that He gives us through Jesus, then we will have no place in His kingdom, and it's our pride that'll stop us from being there. Pride is a serious, serious problem. Pride comes before a fall. Friends don't be proud. Instead, humble yourself. Admit you've been ignoring Jesus. Say sorry to God. Ask him to forgive you. Ask for help. And then humbly submit to Jesus as your king. Humbly accept his invitation. Follow him into the kingdom of God. Because whoever humbly accepts Jesus' invitation, they will most surely and certainly get a taste of that great and glorious banquet. In the eternal kingdom of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for being gracious to us. Thank you that you treat us better than we deserve. Thank you that through Jesus you have even invited us to be part of your kingdom to be part of that great and glorious banquet in your eternal kingdom. Father, help us not to be proud and to think that we don't need help. Help us not to be proud and, and so in our pride to ignore Jesus. Help us to be humble instead, please. Father, we're sorry for ignoring Jesus. We need your help. Help us to trust Jesus, please. And Father, we know that it's through only through Jesus that we can be part of your kingdom. And so help us please to humbly accept that invitation to come into your kingdom through trusting in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.